get up in a bath of ice I'm a victim of an organized You know it is true You know this time you're never gonna get it But you've already stole my heart Yeah, you ripped it and tore it apart You Welcome to Cutthroat Queen's podcast, where everyone that gets lost in corn mazes comes to die. We are here to take an honest and open look at all things indie horror. My name is Brett Mitchell Kent, and I'm joined by the Charlie's Angel that everyone ignores, Chelsea Pumpkins, and this tub of expired mayonnaise, Elton Skelter. Okay. What have you guys, what have you both been doing this month? What have you been reading or watching or whatever? Elton. Um, Outside of existential dread and and working on my writing, I read a great no- novelette that I was sent as um, an advanced review copy from Shortwave Press, um, and it was called "I Am AI" by Ai ah. Zhang, and we love her. And we do. Um, I, I read this all in one go, and it's it, it's. I would say it's not really horror, but it's, it's horrific. Mm. Um, it's it, more of a sci-fi bent to it, um, but also very literary, very like emotional, asks some really deep questions, um, takes you through to a sort of a dystopian future where everything's ruled by technology. And it really sort of asks some, some serious questions about the, the direction we're going with AI at the moment and, and all of those concerns people have and the output of work and taking over creativity it's very on point for, for sort of a, a good conversation topic, but it's also really emotional as well. It sort of questions how we deal with our work-life balance and, and sort of what, what we're having to give up to make sure that we can survive in terms of uh, being able to afford to live. And it's just, it's very poignant. It's beautifully written. And um, I believe it comes out June 20th. Um, so we will put the a pre-order link up as soon as we've got that but yes yeah. absolutely recommend absolutely oh, go love it i, I love I, I and i love shortwave yeah I think they, they're both so that's a killer combo right there yeah and uh, I, I messaged her as soon as i'd read it and said i just needed to let you know that that was incredible and she was like oh thank you friend i saw i as i was thinking recently because i sometimes um in a writing group that we're in she'll sprint and she'll do like sprint after sprint after sprint throw putting this word count together and <laughs> randomly i was thinking the other day huh i wonder if she was sprinting one of these two novels that i'm excited to read while i was watching because i wasn't <laughs> sprinting as well but it just it clicked in my head because right um, it's like you were it's almost like you're part of the book like you were part <laughs> right of i kind of like <laughs> helped a little bit by watching yeah sprint. <laughs> wow. and that's, that's like it's actually quite poignant as well because talking of sprinting there is a huge part of the um of the story that is about a writer putting out aggressive amounts of work like trying to sprint within a a day like one hundred fifty thousand words it's uh it it just yeah it because because we know i as well and we Mm. know how hardworking she is you can see so much of a representation of herself in it as well and it's so relatable and it's just it's quirky and it's kind of heartbreaking as well it's brilliant i sometimes wonder when she is able to like sleep because i yeah we get to see her interacting with the world i think she sleeps during the day it's insane (laughs) she might be nocturnal um i wanted to say real quick for anyone listening who's not much of a writer um when we're talking about sprinting 
it's like an exercise that we'll do sometimes where we like set a time, a timer and just like crank out as many words as you can in like 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Like, um, and so in some of our writing groups, we'll do that together kind of as just like an accountability or like a body doubling exercise that just kind of helps us get some productivity done. Um, but yes, that that's my rec for, for this month. Um, so yeah, coming 20th of June, I believe is the release date for that one. Um, keep your eyes peeled get your pre-orders as soon as you can get them. It is amazing. Um, five stars. So I, I've been writing like heavily, like focusing heavily on getting a, a book finished up. And I know I mentioned it before, but Lingen, um, I, if oh, I'm, it's Ling, Hu, Ling, Ling, Hu, Ling Huen. Oh God. I Googled it before I, I tried to pronounce it. No, I it. asked her and she said Ling Hu Wen, but it like Ling closed. Huen. Ling I Huen. I could not find the pronunciation, so but I did find how to pronounce linguini. Um, but the... <laughs> when you said linguine, I was like, it sounds like you're saying linguini, and I yeah. Don't think so that's what I tried. I promise, for. I did try. But the the book, I've been so excited for her novella to come out, but it happened to come out right when I was setting myself up to like finish this book that I'm writing. I gave myself no time for reading, and it is going to be my little prize to myself is oh. when I finish. <laughs> writing this book which might actually happen today for the first draft um yeah, I get to read it i'm so stoked it i'm looks really amazing. proud of both of you you both have been writing so much and it's very cool N- to not see. nearly as much as brett brett has churned out what it's got to be near like forty thousand words in the last fortnight yeah yeah it's been a lot so i am i um the cover of that she worked on with her mom yeah which i think yeah. is also really cool oh that's cool yeah I have to look it up because I don't actually know. It's really beautiful. I'm usually not one to like pick up sci-fi. Like it's not my first go-to, but both last time we recorded, you did, you had a sci-fi rec too, ish. I did. And it's really, really weird as well, because I'm not very into sci-fi fantasy um, in terms of my personal reading. I like to lean more towards sort of uh, spec fic. I, I like to lean a little bit more towards horror and I like to lean a bit more towards sort of pulpy you know gritty kind of stuff but um I've been really surprised by the amount of like literary sci-fi I've been reading lately and how fantastic it is it's really engrossing and um yeah so I guess thank you to to Vivian Shaw and to to I for for giving me stories that are so so good and just giving me something new to read it's great you've gotten me excited about it so thank you you're welcome I'm going to read this one I'm not a big fan of of sci-fi myself either but i will read eyes because it's just I, th- I think it, it kind of transcends sci-fi to an extent it's 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 making more of a it's almost i want to say political but it's not political it's not about like left versus right or anything like that it's more about sort of um like it could be like what, socio-political right yeah 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 i think it's more it does have a socio-political bent and i think it's uh it's just yeah it's just really worth reading you can see bits of how stuff is now reflected in it um and and it's asking big questions it makes you think and i love i love stories that really make you sit back and question them so yeah i always just want to like read for the rest of the day when we have these conversations (laughs) there's no time no time brett how about you i was fortunate enough we went on vacation and so i had a little bit of reading and writing time while we were driving because we drove about six hours with the kids in the back. They did I really can't well. I believe though. you can do that in the car. I get so car sick. It is my first time bringing my laptop and actually just writing 
while my husband drove. And I cannot tell you how much it worked for me. I, I actually <laughs> tried to get him to take like, like, hey, let's go this weekend and take a long <laughs> drive somewhere. Where do you want to go so that I could focus? Because it really let, like allowed me to hone in. But You're I like read, a baby that like yeah. they, they like <laughs> needed to sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he didn't bite, so I had to do it the old fashioned way, which is I didn't get anything done. Um, the, <laughs> but I read because uh, Ruth Anna Evans, who has been a guest previously yes go back and listen to her episode if you haven't it's really hey ruthanna ruthanna we still love you (laughs) well she dropped uh, just without much warning at all a a novelette i'm gonna call it i think maybe a novella it was is relatively short um called cargo and i was hooked from the moment i started reading it it was an obsession for the hours that i was able to read it while we were driving around it is about a, a young girl, uh, I think she's 14. Uh, and when we, we meet her, she is in a cargo container. Oh, shit. With a whole bunch of other people being snuck out of one place and into another. I cannot explain much more than that because there were several points where it was just completely shocking. I did not anticipate it it was a really great exploration on the lengths that some people will go to to escape you know one situation and to hopefully get into a better situation and whether that better situation is actually a better situation um Hmm. i i really 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 adored it I think that every single person that's listening to this at this moment needs to just stop what they're doing after this episode. And then, <laughs> not, not right it's now. It's okay. Do it if you now. want to pause, you can pause it. You can pause you, the episode I mean, and log on yeah. to Amazon and get a copy. Get this, read this, and then send me a message so that we can talk about it because I <laughs> loved it. And I haven't been able to get uh, these two because they've been so busy with keeping up their own reading and writing. Um, I need somebody else to read it so that we can discuss it because it is absolutely incredible i i I like the fact that that's another uh that's another um sort of very poignant socio-political sort of statement on the the state of migration as well um and i think that puts a bit of pressure on chelsea as well to come up with something intelligent to say about this or about what i'm reading (laughs) about what you're reading she should be like oh my god i read a cartoon don't be haters it's an art form i love it i it's it's actually i don't think i could do it myself i am kind of like a low-key illustrator but i do not think that i could put together a graphic I think you're novel. a high-key illustrator well I, I i couldn't do it either way because it's just i feel like that takes so much dedication um well i was just gonna say that cargo looks really good i have it up right now and i'm like oh do i want it on kindle do i want a paperback but yeah 88 pages um it's described both as a coming of age tale and also um, a little bit dystopian, I believe. Very dystopian. Yeah. We love dystopia this week. We, uh, this month. Very dystopian. we are into it. All right. Well, mine is not a dystopian read, um, but it's a nice transition because Brett just talked about a past guest and I read something from Sarah Tantlinger um, and she's going to be a guest in the future. Um next month little teaser there um but i read her novella to be devoured um and i read it with 
we'll sort of, I read it half with the Howl Society read along. Um, and you know how I am with reading. I was too slow to keep up. Um, but I did finish it and it's such a weird concept. Like if you read the back of this book, the first line is just, what does carrion taste like? Andy has to know. Um, and it's about this woman who is just really obsessed with the idea that really obsessed with how vultures consume decay and she wants to experience that and this person is um filled with a lot of loss and rage um and you kind of just follow her down this like descent of madness um but it's also has like some like erotic components it's sapphic which is awesome um and it's gory as fuck um definitely if you're sensitive to some um content i mean the cover has a vulture on it so you can probably expect that there will be animals in it um and that rings true um but it was fantastic and her prose is amazing i think she may have started as a poet and we'll find out when we talk to her um but her prose is definitely poetic but um I had only read a few of Sarah's shorts before. This is the first time I've read one of her longer works. And um, I was just really impressed at the like really intense lengths she went to in those in those body horror scenes. I was completely grossed out in, you know, you, in the best way. <laughs> you said like all of my key words that I'm looking you would love for it. in horror. <laughs> like I love psychological. I love erotic. I if it's got a queer bend to it. Mm-hmm. I'm all in. Oh, I, I I need to get this now. Yeah, it was really good. It's five stars for me. I need to I need to leave it a review because it totally deserves to be read. Um, and for those of you listening who who can't see our faces right now, Brett just went through every single emotion as Chelsea was talking. There was <laughs> Winona Ryder at that speech acceptance for Stranger Things. Just <laughs> every expression you can imagine there it was quite theatrical. I, just, I kind of feel like that one was written specifically for me, and, and especially extreme horror is is like. I want to call it a guilty pleasure, but it doesn't make me feel guilty. So just a pleasure. No, extreme yeah. horror is. Oh my god, form. Brett! There's also a whole component about um, insects in it too. What? I know it really is like really made for you. You need to read it. <laughs> I'm gonna read it before she comes on. <laughs> it's oh, so I'm short. So um, my copy is like 129 pages, but look or 130, but like look at the margins. So it's like very oh. very quick. Those um, are crazy margins. I know. I just wanted to point out real quick that. So this was originally published in 2019 with Unnerving Press, um, but she did just put out a reprint. Um, so now the book is with Apocalypse Party Press. Um, so the 2023 Ooh, version. Do we? I haven't. I haven't experienced them yet. Apocalypse uh, Party. They're the ones that published uh, Joe Cox um, uh, collection. Uh, uh, the second oh, cool. one, Convulsion, I think it's called. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the very cool. Oh, they just put out um, Max Booth the Third. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's statistics new, too. It's new collection. Yeah. Um, all right, Apocalypse Party. We see you. Yeah, my... they're on my they're on my list of publishers to hit up eventually one day. Copy will awesome. be here tomorrow. Nice. <laughs> hey. <laughs> too, sorry. Yeah. So I'm really excited to talk to Sarah on this um, podcast next month. And it's oh, no. going to be cool for you as well because she was the editor of um, the anthology that you were first published in. Uh, yes, Chromophobia. 
Yeah, cool. which I really loved. I do always feel biased when I talk about how much I love chromophobia, but it really is really, really good. Yeah, I'll bet and as soon as you read this book as well, you'll know, you'll understand why, because Sarah is incredibly talented. So that's yeah. yeah. I have a couple of her um poetry collections on my shelf, but I am trying to cultivate an appreciation for poetry. Sometimes it makes me feel mm. stupid and I'm trying to get over that. Um, so yeah. I'm looking forward to checking her out of checking those out eventually. Uh, Elton, did you ever write poetry? Um, no, I used to write song lyrics, but never, never poems. Okay. Because I, I feel like those are really close. Your prose is always very intelligent and poetic in, in my opinion. I, I find it very pleasant to read. So I always kind of wondered if you write poetry. No, I think it, I think it comes from the music, uh, sort of having that kind of that, that that lyrical input and then and then having to match it to a beat and stuff it, it does give you a, an appreciation of how things flow i never actually thought about that but i always refer to your work as lyrical oh. and i get right so i it just kind of makes sense i don't know if everybody knows this but our intro is actually our very own elton skelter we don't have to do this every time guys they oh, know we're going sorry to. No. <laughs> sorry i don't Everybody know if you know i don't know if you've heard <laughs> all right we have, we have no. a new bit where we have to say that every, <laughs> every time, time. <laughs> i should but... change the song every every month shouldn't i i mean it's, it's a horror Valentine's writing day. it's a horror song so it's fairly horrific it's very 90s um do we have a moment for me to talk about one more thing yeah of course um so our friend Michelle, Michelle Tang frequently talked about our podcast will never come on because it's not her jam. Um, she sent me a link to a short story in the mall, M-A-U-L, in their current issue um, called The Burial Cave by Wailana Kalama. Um, and that story was so fucking good. It was like another kind of psychological um, horror tale about two sisters and their relationship and like the tricks they play on each other, but it takes place um, in a cave. I don't know. It was really, really good. I would recommend it. We'll, I'll link it on the um, Twitter and stuff because definitely check it out. And I had never heard of this author before. So now I think it's a, she, now she's on my radar. Let me see if I can find her bio. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. She, she, she dropped that one to me as well, but unlike Chelsea, I, I didn't read it. <laughs> So, wow. I'll have to. Yeah, Chelsea never reads anything you ask her to, and uh, but she barely reads it if Michelle it. gives it to her. So we'll just have to start yeah, you'll have to, yeah. you'll have to traffic your work through Michelle if you want me to, to read it. Um, but no, it was super good. Everyone should really check that out. Um, it went. It it took directions that really surprised me, and I, I don't know. I feel like sometimes as I don't know, Brett, you're the opposite, but. I'm like, when I'm reading something, I'm constantly like looking for the tiniest clue. Like I'm always trying to guess the ending. Um, and this was like perfectly set up where it, it made sense, but it still surprised me. Oh, that's awesome. That sounds yeah. good. Yeah. You'll have yeah. to link me that one as well. I want to read it. Okay. So as a, as a segue onto our welcoming our guests for this week's um, anthology celebration, um, I want to know what it is that you find most striking about book covers. What do you look for in a book cover? What attracts you to it? Chelsea, go first. Um, I'm, I feel like I have a laundry list of things I don't like about book covers, but I don't know that I have a pulse on what I love about book covers. Um, I really don't love 
photos on book covers or people's like um, photorealistic faces. I don't know. That like really turns me off. Um, But there's exceptions to that. Like when I was just talking, when I was just literally every one of my books. I wouldn't no. consider yours photorealistic. No, I wouldn't uh-huh. consider those photorealistic either. You put a good filter on it. Like, um, and there's there's exceptions to that. Like I was just on the Apocalypse Party Press website and like Max Booth the Third's new book, Abnormal Statistics, like that is kind of a photo, but it's stylized and and yeah. spook- spookified. <laughs> spookified. I love that cover. I love it. Yeah, that's really cool. Um I also like really don't like there's like a certain style of like fantasy illustration that like oh, I yeah, really I hate. Yeah. It's like that old school sword and sorcery kind of look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very Tudorish. It's not my jam. Lots of flowers. No. You don't like you... flowers on covers? Uh, no, it just it, it's that kind of fantasy swords and horses kind of thing, isn't it? Where it's like very sort of Tudor, Elizabethan England kind of, you know. Mm. Yeah, it is very dated to me, and it, it puts me, um, even if it's not set in the past, it always puts me in mind that this story is going to be set in the past. Which like, I know yeah. are you are you all talking where it's like a like a lush greenery scene with like your heroes walking through, leading a horse, real small in the center, like that type of thing? <laughs> no, I was yeah, thinking like- more about the large, iconic sort of big floral arrangements in the middle of it, but like the really sort of stylized fantasy sort of dated overfiltered kind of thing i'm trying to remember what series it was oh oh it might be like if you look at like oh man this is bad so just good fucking name and shame but like um brandon sanderson sanderson's covers are not for me robert jordan's covers not for me um i'm friends with another one of our one of our fr- fellow writers, um, Ryan Marie Ketterer, and we were talking about, she was reading one of these series that might've been Robert Jordan's series. Um, and she, every time she would share a book, I'm like, I hate that cover. And so she made a game out of it where she's like, I wonder if the co- if your hatred of the cover is um, correlated to my review of the book. And so <laughs> she, she sent me a poll that I had to rate every cover. And then she like, mapped it with her starry <laughs> 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 I I actually about that. I'm not much of a fantasy reader but I, I had to google what you were talking about and I like those guys <laughs> I think that they're That's fine. I'm glad dynamic. you I'm glad people like them they're obviously would successful. I pick this book up no because it does translate into like a, a high fantasy situation which I'm probably not going to enjoy as much but I do like how dynamic they are um I guess which leads me into my cover choices i really love intrigue and like a dynamic honestly a lot of the time i like them to be somewhat abstract as well so something that really throws you know dynamic awesome color at me Mm. um the the cover of ah that's what i call horror maybe Oh, sure. Just like thinking <laughs> off the top of my head, it's like a pretty well, dynamic, colorful so cover. It's not all about you. <laughs> <laughs> like the the big purple cover for, or the the neon pink whatever one for, like Catriona Warren's sundial. Mm, that that's, that's very gorgeous. intriguing to me. Uh, Eric Larocca, mm. the the covers for like the yeah, 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 people. Yeah. Those are always really dynamic to Ooh, me. Wait, while you're talking about um, Eric's where uh, Eric's covers. I love 
when an author has like consistency with their covers Me and, too. Like, yeah, yeah, and it like yep. tracks and, and matches mm-hmm. um not a must-have but i do enjoy that all right so elton what about you um i like sort of like brett was saying sort of a bit more abstract I'm, i like sort of collage multimedia comic booky kind of styles i really like oh that, so so like the cover of oh that's what i <laughs> <laughs> oh, for goodness sakes. Jesus Christ. Yes, I love the cover of, ah, uh, and also we love Cassie as well. So Cassie, if you're listening, we love Cassie, you. Cassie, we love you. Um, but the, the big thing for me, the, the biggest thing of, uh, is having like a good font and good, good like yes. kerning on, on the font. It, it's, it, a, a cover is live or die by a font. If you have a shitty font on your cover, then it's not going to look good. It looks really unprofessional. It can look quite cheap. But if you if you take the time to use like the the best kind of font you can find, and I think there's a lot to be said about sort of the paperbacks, the retro paperbacks from hell kind of styles. They were always really really bold with their fonts. They were always stylized exactly to that story, mm. and I kind of just I love that sort of vintagey, font heavy kind of look. Yeah, God, I would die if I put something out and you called it cheap looking. Like that would really cut me to my core. Don't let me do that. <laughs> I won't. Don't worry. You're safe. Um, so yeah, all this talk about art. We are about to bring on a panel of contributors and creators that were involved with a new anthology of art horror. Um, and that is called Collage Macabre. So I'm really excited to take a quick break and bring them on. It's even we try it again, but you know that it's happening. Cause you know I know something is right here. I don't wanna stick around to see the show. You know I know something is right here. I don't wanna stick around to see the show. The floodgates closed a little too late. It's it's a shame, but it's happening. All right, and we are back from our break, and we are joined by Leah, who did the artwork for the anthology that we're discussing today, Collage Macabre. Leah is a designer and illustrator working in Cape Town. Using both traditional and digital media, her illustrative work draws on the natural world and expresses her interest in disruption. Her work can be found on Instagram at schism.art, S-C-H-I, sm dot art how are you doing today leah i'm well thank you thank you for inviting me on it's great to chat with you yeah we are very excited to discuss your process and this is the first time that we've gotten to have an actual artist on board (laughs) to discuss this portion of the process we we did recently have um, ruth anna evans who does Mm -hmm. design covers but her more like her focus is more the the writing portion Mm -hmm. um so how did you get started? How did you do you fall into the illustration game? Falling is a good word to use, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually studied journalism and I specialized in design, communication design. And since then, I fell in love with design. So that kind of introduced me to visual arts and communication 
I also have a deep love for communication in all aspects, which is also why I love reading. <laughs> Sorry, I'm rambling already. No, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've always enjoyed art and drawing. I didn't study it at school because I was very into biology and accounting because I am still a nerd. <laughs> but um, it became, art was very meditative for me almost therapeutic. Um, it was just doodling in class. It helped me listen and learn. So I guess that would be the start, but I didn't really work on it in a conscious way until um, much later in life. So after I graduated, basically. <laughs> so I've kind of always done it, but um, it's only been directed recently. I hope that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. A, a lot of the folks that we end up being able to talk to on here, use whatever medium they're going for in a mm -hmm. cathartic, meditative way. So it's not surprising at all that that's <laughs> you know you awesome. find it that way. Um, mm -hmm. How do you approach when you're doing illustrations for like an internal project like this, where you're illustrating specific stories? So I would say maybe because I trained as a designer, I used a similar process. So I think of it as requirements gathering. Um, in my day job, I'm a UI designer <laughs> as well as um, web design and other stuff. But requirements is a big part of it where you get to know what the client needs and what the project needs. And sometimes what the client needs isn't exactly what they say they need. So there's this process of understanding. With this project, it was super easy because everyone... Firstly, the stories were amazing. Like I loved reading them. Um, and then I felt really lucky to be able to illustrate such cool ideas and worlds. Um, sorry, I've gone way off track here. So oh, the way I approached fine. it, <laughs> the way I approached it um is to look at the requirements of the story as well as the overarching project. Um, so I'd read the stories. I read them a couple of times each at first, like with trying to absorb as much as I could from each story. Um, and I would take breaks from them because I didn't want them to kind of meld into one oh, absolutely. Frankensteinian yeah. monster in my brain. <laughs> um, so I got an idea of the content and I tried to take note of the emotional responses each story elicited in me. So aspects that were really interesting or frightening or really visually evocative for me. So I'm not going to spoil any stories, um, but I made notes of what that made me think of or feel. Um, and then I began highlighting visual notes. So starting to build an idea of the scene in my head for what I do for each illustration, but I would try and support that with what was in the story. So if, for example, a plant was described as vining, I kind of had to think about what that meant for the scene and to be true to the story, but also to try and elicit some kind of I don't know, some kind of emotional reaction with like, if a story is particularly dark or sad to try and maybe bring that into my process or my work. Um, it doesn't always translate to showing visually. <laughs> Probably it hardly does, but um, it was, it was a lot of fun to kind of immerse myself into each world of each story. Um, and so, then kind of just sketch and go from there. Just do that's, that's Awesome. Do you tend to lean towards horror illustrations or was this a little bit different than your typical? I think recently I have because I've always loved horror as a as a genre, basically from 
a kid, <laughs> I was always into horror and weird fiction. Um, in terms of illustration, I only kind of started recently because I focus so strongly on nature and organic forms because that's what I see. That's what I gravitate toward. Um, I have this horrible fascination with medicine and biology and how humans and other animals work. Um, and I feel like that kind of informs my art because that's what I find myself drawing. So this was interesting in the sense that I got to work with the biological forms and organic forms that I really enjoy working, but thinking about how to make them suit the story that I was drawing for. So again, I'm not sure how all that translated into the actual imagery that I came up with, but um, it was a very interesting aspect for me to think yeah. about in terms of horror illustration. I'm not sure I answered your question. No, Sorry. you absolutely did. <laughs> I I think that from the stories that I've been able to read, I haven't been able to get through the entire anthology yet. Uh, oh, it's so I, good. I, I do see the artwork relating directly. I sometimes, as a reader myself, sometimes I I struggle when I when things are illustrated mm -hmm. to marry the concept of the story to the the actual yeah. art. I. I haven't encountered that yet. So I think that you definitely hit the nail on okay, the head cool. with the ones that I've seen. Uh, <laughs> I'm so relieved. <laughs> so was it intimidating at all? Because this is a unique anthology. It's about artwork and you're the Hugely. illustrator <laughs> for uh, an anthology about artwork. I tried not to think about that too much. <laughs> <laughs> not until later. <laughs> I don't really want to sit here with my Wacom, you know, like white knuckled on the desk. But um <laughs> It was really also a really cool opportunity. Like it was super intimidating, but I've always enjoyed challenges. I'm not great at challenges. Like I'm the worst gamer in the world, but I will play <laughs> games every weekend and lose. But I enjoy the challenge and I like the different um, approaches I could take, I suppose I could say it that way. Um, so it was intimidating, especially for it being an art anthology, but it's also my art is my art and I might do it commercially in some sense, but I also do it for myself. So in that aspect, it was very much like suck it up and accept your work <laughs> and who you are and just share that because you found people who are willing to give you that space and that opportunity. And um, I was very open to feedback as well. Like I don't want to make it sound like I just came up with something and the mm -hmm. authors had to deal with it, but um I just, it's such a cool group of people and such great stories that I know it sounds like I'm falling. I am. They're just so I, good. I do it every time. I, I always say that I'm like the world's biggest fangirl. I, I'm so yeah. bad at, at being <laughs> exactly. crit like critical because I, I'm just hype. I like to hype. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's <laughs> exactly, I am critical, but I'm still hype. Like it's so, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. I, so was there any story that maybe you struggled a little bit more to, to come up with a great concept. I, all the stories are fantastic, but is there anything that maybe the imagery didn't come as quickly mm -hmm. as some of the others? I think it was interesting to me because some of them, I thought I would find them very challenging. Like, um, oh no, let me not spoil any stories, but there were some scenes where maybe the main imagery was harder to get to. But once I worked on it and I took more notes from it, it it kind of told me what it wanted to be. So it was easier than I expected. And then some of them were challenging in the sense that there was a lot of technical like perspective, trying to make things look 
<laughs> sensical <laughs> um and to scale and like make sense for the story so there are a couple of like city scenes or room scenes and those are tougher because i don't i typically draw very organic <laughs> i avoid um environments because like artists who also like me don't draw hands they're really difficult <laughs> so <laughs> that was that was challenging like it's tempting to say in retrospect um there was no challenge but i think the challenge was kind of sneaky in that i didn't want to depict too much because i i love monsters like if if there's a story with a monster i want to draw the monster <laughs> but you can't do that because it kind of cues the reader up into what's it, it kind of yeah it takes the gut punch out of the gut punch yeah, absolutely 100 yeah. percent. as a yeah. writer i'm working on something similar to where the, yeah. the monster's kind of hidden and mm -hmm. i like to doodle out what i'm doing but if if i were to it takes the gut punch out of the gut punch exactly that's the best way to put it exactly it's like so you've kind of got to come at it from a sideways like like when someone is talking about you and you don't want them to know because you want to eavesdrop <laughs> on their conversation so you kind of side eye them yeah uh, so I you... might be a little weird in in person. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that that everybody is a little weird, um, and if they're not, they're lying. Yeah. So agreed. <laughs> that's the, the people that are out with it are the best ones. Yeah. So you do commission work. Uh, you do internal illustration, and then and then you mm -hmm. also do cover design. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly I do any kind of commission work. Um, I haven't been actively seeking commissions, but I like drawings. So if my drawings are being used for covers or tattoos or posters, stickers, like I'm good with that. Like if people like my work and I like working with them, then I'm I'm <laughs> happy to do that. Um, it's neat because I, I didn't realize that I'd seen your work, you know, previously when I saw it, but I, mm -hmm. I just saw that, um you have one of the covers the hardback cover for yeah the howls the from wreckage. the wreckage and then mm -hmm. uh what was it uh tj's, it was TJ's yeah yes, yeah that's you, really you great. spoke with him recently yeah that yes. was so much fun <laughs> i actually worked on that cover um after the collage macabre book um because tj and i tj was like my in-between between the collage macabre team and myself and mm -hmm. Thank you, TJ, for dealing with me. <laughs> um, he's just he's such a pleasure to work with. Everything was super easy. Whenever I was stressed out, TJ was like a very calming influence. Um, so it was just such a great experience. And when he told me about his novella coming out, it sounded amazing, first of all. Um, and he told me he hadn't really pinned down a cover. So when I pitched an, a cover idea and he was happy with it and his publisher, Robert, was also happy with it, it was like, it just fell into place. And it was cool because it was the art aspect of it for making a full wraparound, but it was also the design of it. So the typography, the layouts, the kind of print and repro limitations of it was also fun to work with. That's really neat. I, it's a really beautiful, stunning cover. And so is your one from yeah, the, you. the house from the wreckage. That one is just oh, eye catching. All, all of the covers <laughs> for that are beautiful. Um, oh, I so love unique. all of them. <laughs> I feel like I, I keep saying I want like wall size murals of each cover. So they're, I can just yeah, live they're in beautiful. Oh, I love them. Uh, do you take a different approach to cover design versus your interior design work? 
I would say so. Um, with the art aspect, maybe it's more similar, so there's more overlap. But for cover design, there are different limitations. So like the typography and layouts, um, there are also specific sizes, like print. This is where the design aspect comes in, I guess. Um, print restrictions, color restrictions, all of that kind of stuff in the background I take into account. Whereas when I'm approaching interior art, I have one spec for the style and the restrictions. So with Collage Macabre, it was um, black, white, and gray and a specific size. And within that, I could develop my own idea of what each illustration should be and how cohesive or non-cohesive they should be. And with cover art, it's like I've got to have space for the author's title, the name, like how many words in the title, um, trying to get the cover to suit its genre but not be too generic, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, because you'd like it to stand out, but you also don't want a horror book to look like kids fiction or sci-fi because it just cues the reader up into the wrong kind of mindset when they look at it. Um, cover is also full color. So <laughs> I don't typically work with color in my personal illustrations because Same. I always say I, <laughs> yeah, I always say I don't see in color, but it's like it's tricky for me. And I go a little off kilter looking at color on different screens <laughs> because they all look different to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I start questioning reality a little bit, but it's fine. It's cool. I rein it in. Um, so I enjoy cover work because it allows me to work with layout design, typography, so more cohesive overarching project. But interior art is cool because it allows you to work within a, within a world or within a scene. Yeah, it's it's crazy the amount of nuance that goes into that, the, the overarching marketing, all of that that you have to consider when like specifically designing covers, because exactly. as you said, you can't make it look like it's one thing if it's another because you're just not going to attract the exactly. right leadership. Exactly. So you're you're trying to walk this line between how generic is too generic and how standing out from the genre is too much. So you're trying to find this balance, but you also want the author and the publisher and marketing team to be able to use the work. Like I always say, design is about solving problems and art is as well because when you're doing art in collaboration with other people or for a story um, or even for something like music, like album art, it kind of needs to fit into that world, but also suit their strategy. And I really like that challenge because it's like you're trying to find the edges of something and how it will fit. And sometimes you get it wrong. I get it wrong. But the nice part about this is that you get to talk directly with your clients or your people that you're working with. And it's not it's not, I don't take it personal. It's usually, it's not personal. It's just, yeah. if this doesn't solve the problem, then it doesn't solve the problem. It's like, let's try something else. So I really enjoy that aspect because you get to collaborate with people and your two processes have to find a way to work together or not. Yeah. <laughs> that, a lot of creation kind of goes in that same realm because writing is very similar to mm -hmm you have to problem solve and, and on and with writing a lot of the problems are ones you created yourself since you mapped it all out <laughs> exactly. but it, it does it's like fitting a puzzle together uh, but the 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 important thing is having that thick skin because there will be criticism there will be people that yeah. are mean about what you do my personal opinion is that all art is valid i mm -hmm. i love i guess what you would call grotesque because mm -hmm. people do you know this a grotesque 
kind of old fashioned types of art that mm-hmm. maybe look simplistic, but there's a lot of depth and meaning behind it. Um, Definitely. And, and digging into that is what's so mm-hmm. rewarding about it. So I, I completely agree with you. Um, I try not to take, I mean, it's difficult to always not take criticism personally, but generally I think I try to keep distance between myself and my work, especially if it's not just for me. Um, and sometimes you'll get hurt feelings, but you know, you get, you, you bounce back, you work through them, process it. And either, I guess you kind of have to figure out a way forward, or maybe you realize that that path is not for you. So for me, I kind of know this path is for me because I enjoy doing it, which is maybe selfish, but that's but okay. <laughs> that is the most important thing. I mean, we, you have to find enjoyment where you can find enjoyment. Mm. And if you can give exactly. other people enjoyment while doing that, which you're doing with your work, exactly. that's perfection. And it, it elicits a response. I mean, as a writer, you know, it's mm-hmm. the creation part is very intensely personal. Often it's rooted in your life or your experiences or something you've seen. And you just, you want to share some aspect of that. So why does it matter if people dislike it? It's it's okay. We have different mm-hmm. experiences. That's fine. So that's how I see it. Um, and that's why I say I do it for myself. Um, so I do it for myself. But when you're working with people, it's it's the project and the process you can create together. And I don't think that needs to be taken personally because you live and learn, I guess. Maybe I'm I'm thinking of it in a way that's really easy for me to process any negative comments, but that's okay too. Uh, that's the way that it needs to be. You find your own armor. You find your own shield through things. Exactly. And then you share what you want to share. And if people don't like it, that's cool. Yeah. They're wrong. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm always right. <laughs> um, so where can we find you? I, I know that we mentioned that you have your your instagram at schism.art but uh is that where you would reach out if you were looking for commissions i think so yeah i think so um i don't have like a website set up mostly because making a portfolio is daunting and i am so bad at it um so i just use instagram as my primary social media so that is probably the easiest way to get hold of me i do have twitter but i'm not as active on it. So DMs via Instagram are probably the easiest way. Yeah. Instagram is such a great place for artists. Yeah. It's been really If the cool. algorithm allows it. But. <laughs> that is true. And mine is kind of curated so that I have a lot of local and international artists that I follow. So the algorithm kind of knows what I want, but every now and again, you get like a weird advert, but you just keep scrolling. Just yeah. <laughs> ignore it. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today. We were really hoping to bring you into the conversation, an art-themed anthology with Thank you so specific much. artists. It, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. I can't wait to see the rest of the work. I'm so excited for you to see it. Thank you for having me on and taking the time to chat with me and dealing with my weird power issues. South Africa no. has had many power problems. But yay, tonight I get the electricity. So thank you for having me and chatting with me. It's been super cool. Yeah, thank you so much.
All right, we're back from our quick break, and we're really excited to talk with some of the contributors of the new anthology Collage Macabre, an exhibition of art horror. Um, So we have a couple guests on. Um, Jessica Peter is joining us. Um, She writes dark, haunted, and sometimes absurd short stories, novels, and poems. She's a social worker and health researcher who lives in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, with her partner and their two black cats. You can find her writing in venues such as Lamplight Magazine, the No Sleep Podcast, and Bridget's Gate Anthologies, among other places. You can find her on Twitter at JessicaPeter1 or at www.jessicapeter.net. We also have Joseph Andre Thomas with us today, and he is a writer and literature teacher living in Vancouver, British Columbia. Shout out to Canada. This is clearly our Canada episode. (laughs) Joseph Andre Thomas is a graduate of the University of Toronto's MA in Creative Writing Program, a recipient of the Abby Bennett Emerging Writer Scholarship and the Canada's Canada Master's Scholarship. Joseph's writing has appeared in the Puritan's Town Crier and Untethered Magazine. He was a contributor to the anthology Howls from Hell, long listed for a Bram Stoker Award and Superior Achievement in an Anthology and the forthcoming Collage Macabre, an exhibition of art horror, as well as Howls from the Wreckage. He has work forthcoming in the debut anthology from Black Cat Books and Old Moon Quarterly. Welcome, you two. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. How's how's things in Canada today? (laughs) Chilly. We couldn't be on more like different (laughs) areas of the different versions of Canada. No, here in yeah. America, it's all the same. You're just one, one climate. <laughs> one totally the same. Yeah. You got your California, California you got Kansas your Alaska. City, exactly the same, yeah. Same. <laughs> well, thanks New for Mexico joining us. And Rhode Island. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, we're really excited to talk about this anthology. I've been loving it. And um, yeah, I don't know. Brett, do you want to get us started? Yeah, thank you both for being here. I know that you are both in completely different time zones. And Joseph, thank you for getting up early, early to <laughs> meet with us. Uh, so this anthology for the the listeners, just an explanation, this one was a collective anthology. And the the group of writers all got together and kind of made it a group effort to push this out into the world. So since it's a unique experience as no one person is at the helm, could you talk to us a little bit about how that process went, how you got from concept to published? Do you wanna take that one, Jessica? Yeah, I'll get started there. So it was kind of like creative chaos. we decided we were going to do an anthology together and we were kind of talking in the beginning about whether anyone would be in charge and we decided no nobody would be in charge which sometimes was amazing because we had so many views that were able to like find us things that any individual person would not have known and sometimes was less amazing because nobody was in charge (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah that's a challenge yeah yeah so it was like totally a collective effort we like made a a list of the sort of rules that um, go into making an anthology, everything from uh, writing a contract. That was one thing I did um, Mm -hmm. because we wanted a contract with each other uh, to say that we were actually going to go through with this. Everything from writing a contract to copy editing and 
Joseph, you were on the copy editing team, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, marketing and, you know, every little piece we like split out into lists and then we signed up for things and it went pretty well. Like <laughs> we we have an anthology coming out tomorrow, you know, the yes! way we're, we're um, air, uh, shooting this, so. Yeah, so this will come out um, at the end of April. So for everybody who's listening, the book is already out and you should order it instantly and we'll <laughs> make sure you know how. Um, so launch date is the 18th, correct? Yes, April, April 18th. 18th. Yay, so exciting. And Jessica, you mentioned that you had little, I guess, se separate pieces that each person signed up for. Which parts were you part of, of that? Um, so I, I did contracts, as I mentioned. I do that at work. I'm a research mm. project manager. And I was also co-project manager for this, which um, is more of a delegation. And shout out to Julie Sevens, who was the other co-project manager. The two of us mainly uh, specialized in making sure we knew exactly what was going on when and like nudging people like, hey, did you finish that proof? Hey, when do we order those stickers? Also, Julie ordered the stickers. I can't do anything in Canada because the shipping is a nightmare. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't do a lot of the stuff myself other than those contracts. I made sure everyone else was doing the things that they were experts in. <laughs> and that was a good yeah. role for me. Yeah, that makes sense. And Joseph, about the, the copywriting, how did you approach that? Copy editing. Copy editing. Sorry about that. <laughs> Oh, just kind of just the same way you would any sort of um, large scale proof, proofreading, copy editing project. Uh, it was me, TJ Price and Mob did the first pass at it. I think it's been proofread a number of times since then. But we each just kind of took the raw draft and went through it, went, went through it with a fine tooth comb. I think at that point, we'd all read most of the stories at least once before so we kind of knew and we had a kind of we had an idea of what kind of shape they were in and we just hunted through it and made sure everything you know was consistent in terms of punctuation style spelling we you know even though both Jessica and I are Canadians we definitely uh defaulted on American spelling for, <laughs> for simplicity's sake oh um, no they made you lose your your use Oh yeah. no, I've got all my word stuff. I've got all my word processors on Canadian and uh, American spelling <gasps> just <for> ease of <laughs> betrayal. <laughs> I, I know. Um <laughs> I want more use. I want more use in all my words. <laughs> so did you the three of you each read all of the stories or did you split them up? No, I think we, we each read the draft, the full full. Wow. Yeah. And then we work. yeah, so I actually we didn't talk individually, just say like, what are you doing? You know, just to make sure like style stuff was consistent. But for the most mm -hmm. part, we just did it separately, sent our proofs to TJ. And then he just kind of like married them into what eventually became the the final copy that went out for publication. And when you were going through this, the process initially before the final copy editing, did everybody kind of like, take a look the the non-editor people take a look and read through each other's story and give feedback was there like a betaing stage before oh, yeah. oh, the, yeah. the final round 
Could you explain oh, that yes. a little bit? So yeah, it's about the writing. We did a robust workshop um, and it was really creative chaos again. So uh, we all, we, we set our deadlines. We set deadlines for when you had to have a draft. And then we also set deadlines for when you had to have your next draft. And we had a spreadsheet with everyone's pieces and people went green or not green um, when they wanted reviews or didn't want them. So some people had two reviews in that stage and some people had up to five or six if they were feeling like they wanted more critiques in like further drafts. And then it went to this copy editing stage after. Yeah, I probably should have made that clear that like every story had been thoroughly edited by the writer themselves and had been looked over by numerous eyes before. Like we were essentially proofreading it by that point. Like everything, all the story, all the content of each story was set by that point. We were just, you know, fixing mistakes, um, reading for um, stylistic consistency, that, that, that sort of thing. So just the final line edit clean make it publisher ready yeah pretty pretty much yeah but i mean i i all three of us of course were part of that earlier editing process as well which was really like you know that's that's where the if the if you like the collection that's really where the magic happened there not the uh, not the proofreaders yeah like, you all have tons like, of effort in really like a vast i don't know vast variety of like takes on art horror and I was hoping you guys you each could spend some time talking about how you came up with this theme and what attracted you how you came up with it collectively and then what attracted each of you individually to write for it sure uh Jessica did you want to sure um (laughs) sorry so what why did we choose it so we had a vote we were kind of um up for almost anything we just wanted to do something together um and art horror won and we ended up we didn't even define it so that's the funny thing so if you're answering like a call if you're answering a call that's for an anthology there's usually like a paragraph that would say like when we say art horror what we mean is blah 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 we just were like it's art horror and then (laughs) we all just went with it so the cool thing is we have a lot of the same themes in the stories um like obsession and regret and things like that you'll keep seeing throughout all the stories but we didn't plan that it was like "Hmm, this is what we all linked in our heads but the styles are like totally different they're um all different subgenres of horror so you get um something like uh Ryan Marie Ketterer's, which is very much in modern weird fiction, um, to something like mine, which is like a whole bunch of slapstick, semi-slapstick Victorian mummy <laughs> gore, I guess, <laughs> with social satire. Like they're those two stories, if you just saw them together, you'd be like, I don't know if these two fit together, but because of the, <laughs> the overarching theme, these themes and these feelings in the background um yeah. we can link some really distinct stories oh my god I didn't even think of your story as slapstick and now like thinking about it in retrospect with that lens is like cracking me up I thought of it as like very serious and <laughs> so I actually read it the opposite way I I was reading through it and I was I I appreciated the slapstick nature of it and I was going to ask you about that like when you 
went into this, did you know ahead of time that you would take that approach or did the story just kind of fall in that way? Um, all right, I'll answer that right now. Um, yeah, yeah. so giving ahead so a little. My story, my story is called A Study of Number. And it's about a bunch of Victorian gentlemen in a house who are at a, a mummy unwrapping party. The art part comes in because um, you can make paint out of mummies. And there's a bit of that, too. So that's real. So, that's historical. That's historical. Oh, that's so um, gross. So we're the mummy unwrapping parties. Yeah. So it starts with an invitation in the beginning. And the invitation, mm-hmm. I actually pulled the text from an actual mummy unwrapping party invitation. Um, oh my god that's awesome yeah but why was it always historical yeah I had the voice first so the the toniness of the um kind of spoiled uh young Victorian gentleman I had that first I I didn't necessarily know it was all going to be semi-comedic and people keep saying in the reviews like oh this one's really scary and I'm like oh scary and funny I didn't know it was going to be scary um (laughs) That's my, like one of my favorite combos though. So way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it kind of just unraveled that way that I was like slamming so many different influences into one piece. That's really neat. Yeah. I, I think it's also pretty neat. The, the social questions that you have regarding this is for the, the project as a whole. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm switching back. I, I skipped ahead to the, the, the other person previously. You said that all of them find or follow that exact same kind of themology of the, the obsession. And, and it makes you wonder, is that because you're all like-minded? Is your like-mindedness to have chosen the art antho kind of dictated in that way based on your interests? Or does the art anthology lend itself more to that i think it's it's a neat study that we'll probably never know the answer to a study in umber if you will yeah that it all just (laughs) fell in that way (laughs) i mean i think that's it's kind of a cliche right the tortured artist right i Mm -hmm. feel like not just not to say that the stories are in any way cliche just that like it kind of follows naturally right the obsessive artist you can easily you know it just it starts writing itself once you make this kind of obsessive artist in the in the, the the focal point of a story right it's yeah when Jessica when you were talking about like common themes that came out in the anthology and you mentioned like regret and um I forgot the other one you saw already but Obs- I, obsession that yeah, obsessive obsession. artist idea yeah and like there's a lot to like again I'm like probably only a quarter through right now um but I'm speeding through it because it's super um compelling but um there's a lot like based on like inspiration and muse and stuff too. And I think like all of us as writers, at least I know, um, I know Brett dabbles in other art forms and I don't know about you too. Um, but that piece of the puzzle is like, yeah, it's just interesting to see it take form in these stories. And it feels knowing you both as writers feels like this cool meta exploration. So I've been really enjoying that. Yeah. I think we get the tortured artist thing as writers, like most writers would. But I know a bunch of the people on the table of contents are also artists on the side. Like Rachel Searcy wrote a film one and she is a filmmaker. Uh, Christy Nogle and I did some art for our collection because they're also artists. Um, That's wonderful. I'm sure Nikki R. Lee with her crochet story, uh, she's a crocheter too. Oh, awesome. She's gotta be. (laughs) 
Alex Wolfgang it does life drawing. I think he was taking a drawing course, and that's like kind of the setting of the of his story. So that's Ooh. a direct one. Yeah. Speaking of courses, because Joseph, your story takes place like um in an art history course, or that is where it starts. Do you want to talk a little bit about like what drew you to the theme and then like what you did for inspiration for your story? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, my my big inspiration for that story was really just that painting. I absolutely love the painting. It's uh, The Anatomy Lesson by Rembrandt. Yeah. So did you like stumble upon that in life at some point? And how did you come across it? I like never write anything autobiographical, but that opening scene in the story is like very close to what really happened when I was taking a course at Concordia in Montreal you know, boring teacher, you're not really into the lecture. And then all of a sudden they're showing that painting and the painting is just so mesmerizing. And there's so many creepy little details. The more you, it's one of those paintings, the more you look at it, the more just like, you can kind of glance past it. But if the more you like study it, the just the crazy little details, the where, where the, where the people are paying attention and, um, yeah, no, I just love that painting was a was a big part. It was definitely the main inspiration. Cool. Um, the other inspiration I had at that I, I I actually wrote a first draft of this like ages ago, and um, I was experiencing a lot of um, sleep paralysis at the time. Not like a not like as bad as some people have it, but it was a stretch of my life where I was just like really stressed out and having a lot of yeah episodes of sleep paralysis and something about that painting just like really gives me sleep paralysis vibes um that was actually when i originally wrote the draft that was a much bigger factor in it um um and that sort of changed as the the story went on it's not really a part of it anymore but i still think i've you know there's a scene in it that's very Sleep. Yeah, I, I thought of that. I am also a sufferer of sleep paralysis. And Jessica, I think you are too. I think Same, we've, we've yes. spoken about this. And Brett, I can totally see your yes. story being sleep paralysis. Yeah, we, we've actually talked about it on this podcast yeah. before <laughs> um, because of a story I wrote. Story, nice. The Hat Man and her 90s anthology. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Another yeah, weird commonality yeah, among writers, apparently. Totally. Yeah. Might well, and then well, I, I heard the, the title of the title of the story is the preparator and that was a real that was where the real sleep paralysis connection came in my head because the basically the painting rembrandt painted it from the perspective of this person who would have been the called the preparator who would have been there to prepare the dead body for the anatomy lesson Ooh. so they are when the when the when the subjects of the painting are looking at you the the viewer or however you at the camera, if you yeah. will, um, they're actually supposed to be looking at this preparator who is mm. who's basically make, make the clean everything, have the body ready. And he, he would also make the really gross incisions like the actual uh, the actual doctor, Dr. Nicholas Tulpa um, would only have made like small incisions. And this guy was yeah. scared away. Crack really crack you open. <laughs> yeah. That's that awesome. Gave, that gave me the vibe of like, you know, the uh the dark, the dark person in your sleep paralysis, right? The person just 
just just to the left of where you can see right yeah and like the whole idea of just like it being very shadowy but very scary and like hearing like interesting whispers yeah you nailed it you definitely nailed the the feeling of sleep paralysis we'll um, have to um put a picture of that painting on our instagram or something or in twitter when we air this because i obviously i looked it up when i was reading it too because i was like well this has to be real <laughs> like based on how detailed it was and it was so it's cool so one cool thing about your story is that I just encountered this um, literary word that I had never heard before. I'm sure some of you have heard it. Ekphrastic. So I'm actually taking a workshop on ekphrastic poetry this coming weekend. Ooh, wow. Ekphrastic, it's got a K in it and everything, means a piece of writing inspired by another work of art. Oh. And we have a bunch of ekphrastic stories in the anthology. One is Joseph's. One is Mobs the Red Lady, which is also based on a painting. It's based on a more modern painting done in a historical style from an artist he found on DeviantArt. Oh. Um, which is the other one that is? Oh, uh, Ryan's is also. Ryan Marie Ketterer's The Children's Ball is also based on a painting she saw. Oh, that I has to be... know that. Intro I knew about yeah. this. I didn't know about that one. Yeah, she yeah. saw it like uh, in outside in the grass or something. Terrifying. Creepy. Right, what were you gonna say? I, I just think that that has to be the, the biggest compliment is that your art, especially for yours, Joseph, I mean, you're talking about so far previously when you were in school and being so compelled by that apparently very formative experience of seeing that painting for the first time that we, we just all want that <laughs> we're creating artists to touch somebody so thoroughly that they're inspired themselves. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I too hope I am as much of a genius as Rembrandt. <laughs> lovely. I mean, it's I at think, least close, right? Yeah, I mean, I think this podcast is really going to skyrocket you to Rembrandt yeah, that's levels great. of that's great. <laughs> And Jessica, I read a number of your other works before. Um, I think maybe the first one I read was your story in Howls from the Dark Ages, The Lie of the Dance Macabre. Did I get the title yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. And I know that you lean towards historic, like having a historical fiction bent in your writing. And I was wondering if you wanted to talk about um, why you're so attracted to that and like what inspires you from that sort of genre. Sure. Um, Unless I'm so on base. I, and if I am, correct me. <laughs> no, no, you're totally on base. I write a lot of historical. I don't write all historical, um, but then I have a few favorite eras that I write. Medieval is actually not one of the ones I would say I write, um, but there was a medieval anthology and I was like, I'm going to get into this thing with yes. my very special seven page uh, epic poem slash story in verse. Um, total rhyming verse. Um, yeah, so I love uh, researching historical places and being able to places and times Um I am a researcher in my day job, but in health, not in uh, history. Mm. Um, and I love being able to to wedge in something that um, didn't exist or might have even existed, but we just don't know about. Like my story in this piece, like, yeah, there were mummy parties. There was paint made of mummies. People were drinking grind up mummy bodies for health and vitality. It was all happening. That's was there a party? where a bunch of historical guys got kind of attacked by some sort of supernatural force? Maybe. You never know. 
Yeah. Um, so I love integrating, like researching like hard history details and incorporating that with like um, supernatural or even just haunting. So I have at least one story, one Western actually, hmm. um, where if you read it one way, you may think it's a supernatural horror, but if you read it another, it's not a supernatural horror. It's just mundane horror written in spooky gothic sort of feeling. Cool. Um, I think like that's, it's, how do I want to say this? How do I want to word it? I wouldn't consider myself like a history buff really at all. Like if I stumble upon it once in a while, a historical story will like grab my attention. Um, but I wouldn't consider it like a hobby or like a strong interest, but I do get a kick out of like writers in general and talking to others, like how we'll start writing a story and we'll have like one word. Right. And we like research for three hours to make sure we're using the exact accurate word that probably no other reader would notice is incorrect (laughs) if it were. Um, and I feel like, you know, we, we all share a community. Um, and I, I laugh at the things we like go down into research rabbit holes about even though it's like yeah the the outcome I also, is so minor <laughs> so I have a whole Pinterest board for this story oh my gosh um, with like tons of pictures and stuff like that and most of it isn't in there it was more just like you know me knowing what I was writing I don't always do that for every story but I'm um, very similar in that yeah. I I like to write within a specific time period. Most of my work ends up falling into whatever I choose. And I'm I will learn every aspect of it that I can and not use a single thing of it. But to be able to visualize, you really have to to know. Yeah, it's cool to like center your mind there too and like kind of immerse yourself, put yourself in the right mood. Yeah. The novel I'm querying agents with right now is historical horror. Uh, set in 1919, which is definitely one of my eras, just post-war, uh, World War One. Uh, World War One is also something I write. Um, but uh, I really had to control myself with a novel. So I did like a tiny bit of research in the beginning because I have some big idea. I wrote a first draft and then like made notes about what I had to deep dive into. And then I spent like six months almost deep diving. I was reading like first person accounts and things like that. Um, And then I finished the second draft, Uh, but I could not, I had to limit myself because it was rabbit holes are very easy to step into in historical. I'd be like, why am I reading about this? I don't have anything in the book in my novel about (laughs) this. I agree. I'm writing mine initially takes place. The novel that I'm working at the moment initially takes place in 1925. So right there with you, it's such a time consuming process because even if I want to describe an outfit, I have to know every single piece of whether the outfit was actually feasible. Mm-hmm. So. Or you'll end up like Googling some just like really vile stuff. Like, I don't know, do eyeballs float in tea? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's the relevant. It's relevant sometimes. Eyeball. <laughs> and no one wants to see the Google history of a horror writer. No. We, we've all looked up some bizarre things. <laughs> I know we're definitely all on like a list somewhere for sure. I, I did. I went through a whole process a couple of days ago because I I had a couple decade old paint thinner in the story and I needed to see if that would still be an accelerant. And so I'm just going through trying to figure out the degradation of paint thinner and whether it's still an accelerant. It is. Oh, good to know. So. Yeah. And like, I remember in the 90s anthology, one of the stories um, focuses on some 
some instances of domestic terrorism. And I was like, oh gosh, I hope you were on private mode when you were doing that. Like, yikes. Was that Sarah Denton's story? Yeah. I, yeah. yeah that was so the good. opener. I loved it. Um, anyway, it was really cool to hear about each of your stories. I enjoyed both of them a lot. And what, one thing that was funny is um, I'm a slow reader, which is becoming a theme on the podcast we always talk about. Um, and I was reading your story last night, Joseph, and I like turned the page and it was like 44 minutes left in the chapter. And I was like, oh my God, I was like, I hope I finished the time because I'm so slow, but I gobbled it down. Like your voice and your style is like really digestible and like, um, just really sucked me right in. Um, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And, and yeah, I wanted to know, um, so you talked kind of about like, there's obsession in a lot of all these stories but yours you put like a drug spin on it and I was wondering why you why you decided to do that uh that was another I guess I guess I could have covered this in the inspiration question as well that was another I've always wanted to write something with that particular drug in it it's like the it's called uh DDPT oh so it's real yeah oh yeah it's like the the cousin I'm sure you've all heard of DMT dimethyl Mm-hmm. wait am i am i mispronouncing that let me oh. make sure <laughs> yeah let's google some drugs and get it right <laughs> and then, yeah and then um dpt is dipropyl tryptamine so they just changed the um the the uh the gas in it but it's a similar drug effect except for it's supposed to be a little bit more terrifying <laughs> i remember reading why would it. anyone do it oh yeah, <laughs> there's actually, I'm not even kidding. There is like a church somewhere that um, is like focused around this drug. Frankly, that doesn't surprise me. It's, yeah, it's su- <laughs> super bizarre. Yeah, religious use, the, the Temple of the True Inner Light in New York City. <laughs> We're going to have to censor that so we don't end up. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hate mail. Um, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> But I, I think it's funny that, that Chelsea, you're a horror writer being like, yeah. why would somebody go out of their way to consume something horrific? Oh, well, my own brain already <laughs> creates like the worst case scenario. So like, yeah. I don't need to see my brain on drugs doing that. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all. People chase fear. So yeah, I read a, I read a book ages ago. Um, can I say the names of books? Or is yeah, that, yeah. Um, yeah, this book called Breaking Open the Head or a guy um he basically goes around he just tries all these different he's in like his mid-30s and he's never really been a drug person he's like i'm just gonna go around and taste test every drug i can get my hands on and that drug is one of the last ones that he tries and his description of it was just so terrifying that i was like oh i've got to write about this at some point they call it like because dmt is referred to as the the spirit molecule this drug is sometimes referred to as the demon molecule as it's kind of like fun house mirror inversion of the supposedly enlightening DMT. Mm, yeah, I don't, I don't need to fuck with that. <laughs> no, no demon I've, I've never tried it and I don't think I have any plans to. <clears throat> oh, man. Well, bringing it back to like the collective for a bit. Um, I was curious, like, so you all did a lot of jobs and had to collaborate a lot. And Jessica sounds like maybe your job was hurting the cats a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do I have that right? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was curious, like what maybe like was the hardest part of doing it as, as a collective. And then like on the flip side, what were your favorite parts? 
And Jessica, you can go first. I guess the hardest parts were kind of what I was saying before, just that that because we chose to have no one in charge, it was kind of like, all right, we'll just like we kind of floated for a couple months. But I mean, we were waiting. We had set a date, so we were kind of waiting for it to get closer and then tasks get more rapid as you get closer. Um, yeah, so it was just kind of hard to be like, okay, what are we what are we doing next? I don't know. Um, also, even as like co-project manager, like I was like, I definitely do not want to be on like the self-publishing parts things because I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'd be like, uh, have you done your something that you were supposed to do related to <laughs> self-publishing or like not self-publishing? It's not, it's kind of like halfway between self-publishing and publisher publishing. Yeah. Like it's almost like we're a small press rather than mm -hmm. self-publishing it because we did. So if you look at the book, the editor and the publisher are listed as the future dead collective, which isn't a thing beyond really i mean we might use the name in the future but it's not really a thing beyond we needed a name for this book and yeah. we named it and it's cool and there's a skull that's our logo it's really neat <laughs> i love the name that's amazing yeah future dead collective it's cool it's perfect but yeah it, it was neat to have different viewpoints and and some of the things none of us knew like some of the things you know we hadn't done big promo campaigns for an anthology before that was like we were all flying by the seat of our pants and you know learning from each other and then each other also didn't know what we were doing but you know we've got beautiful stickers we've got beautiful cover that uh, the cover yeah. was done by one of our members the stickers were created by our members like all the all the thing was internal oh except we did hire an illustrator who i think you'll be talking to hopefully yes. Yes, we're gonna uh, that in a little schism, bit. She goes by in her art thing, I think, is her yeah. uh She's yeah. Good. yeah, we hired her for the interior illustrations. Those illustrations are yeah, the illustrations are great. Um and yeah, and yeah, we will get a chance to talk to her about it, but um I'm really excited to hear how she about her process and how she turned your stories yeah. into into them. But it's very cool. So what was your favorite? Well, I guess is your favorite part, I guess maybe just that you got it done. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Favorite part is crowdsourcing knowledge and activity. People awesome. knew stuff that one person alone would never known. People could do stuff that yeah. one person could have done. It's really impressive to like knowing, looking at the table of contents and, um, you know, I know that schism, like, I don't know, schism mob, like you all in Canada, like you're international. There might be more too that I'm not even thinking of. Um, so to, to all have, you know, full-time jobs perhaps, or our families or pets and lives outside of this and not even being on the same time zone and, and pulling a book together and doing all these different parts is really just impressive. It's, I, yeah, I don't know. There's it's a, not many feats out there like that. And I think it's very cool. Yeah, I'd like to give a special shout out to Christy Nogle who did our cover. Like, you know, the book's called Collage Macabre. Mm -hmm. And it's a literal collage. It was a physical collage. She printed <sighs> things and cut them. And yeah, it was physical. I'm yeah. pretty sure. That's <laughs> but amazing. they were like, a lot of them represent stories in the book. So if you read the book there... and then you go back to the cover. And cool. we sent her things to put. Oh my one... our... I think she included one piece per story on the cover collage. Yeah. 
Oh, I can't I, wait to get my I paper could be back. wrong on that, but I, I, I know that's incredible. <laughs> it might have been a digital digital collage. I might be lying about the total physical, there's, but she definitely, definitely pieced together stuff. <laughs> that's really cool. I know that there's definitely a digital component because she and I spoke a lot about which part of the anatomy lesson she would feature because you can Ooh. only see a kind of little sliver of it. I'm so going to look it up and see if I can bit. see where That's, it is. I, uh, we always have every episode something that triggers Chelsea to fall into a Google hole. And, yep. and this is it. Um, That's so, where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> so we lost her for a moment. But what about you, Joseph? What were the, the hardest and the favorite parts in your experience working through this collective? Um, I mean, just echoing what Jessica said. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's one thing to sit down. I think at the beginning when we, as she mentioned, we consciously decided not to have like any one lead or like head editor, etc. Um, and it's one thing to say like, oh, cool, we're all going to write and edit each other's stories. But then as you keep going, you realize that like that is really only small portion of it there's just like jaw it's like a russian nesting doll of jobs right as she said like we had to it's have a lot somebody... of working together too like a lot of those yeah. you can't really do in a vacuum yeah yeah she had to do those contracts um we needed to commission the art we had some people voluntarily doing art some people like uh like schism were paid um the there's people doing you know there's a lot of just like people wearing a bunch of hats and doing a lot of volunteer work. Like the whole marketing team is being really consistent with getting things up on Twitter and on Instagram uh, in the days leading up to the, uh, the launch. Um, we're doing the, we're also organizing a book launch party on zoom next weekend, but I guess by the time this is out. Um, <laughs> that yeah. Probably- we can still promo it though, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to attend that. I don't think I have plans, so I'm excited. Um, yeah, sorry, I just I've lost been, my train of thought. Got excited. I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've um, been describing this process to friends as basically we're like we're we're idealized we're idealized communism. We're just like everyone is relatively equal. <laughs> Everything went relatively smoothly. I don't think there was much, if any, conflict successful communism for once it acted successful in the real communism. world yeah <laughs> it doesn't just world, work in theory world leaders look no further than the future tech collective <laughs> to run your country <laughs> do you have any advice like if you if another group wanted to do this like what would be your one piece of advice and you each can offer one piece uh well from a my project management standpoint yeah make a list of the tasks that need to be done the times they need to be done by and the people who are going to do it and have it act, have it living so okay. adjust those times as you go through things good one wonderful yeah i mean be aware of the number of jobs and things that need to get done and also just be aware that like you know, it really does require a lot of like essentially volunteer work, right? Everyone, no one in this project is really expecting to get like a financial reward. I mean, maybe a little bit at some point, but like not 
I don't think so. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, everyone is everyone is essentially just will put willing to put more work in than they are going to get. You know, of course, physical financial rewards in return, right? So that just be aware. There's not going to be. You know, we're no, we're not Stephen King yet. <laughs> exactly, yeah, we got yeah. it. <laughs> so if you're trying to organize this, just maybe you know make that very clear early on that like <laughs> this is. This is a love of the game thing. Yeah, I love that. Setting expectations and staying organized. I think those are really good advice pieces. So this book comes out uh, tomorrow by our present time, like a week ago by the time that this is available to our listeners. Where can our listeners find Collage Macabre? Uh, well, first of all, the easiest place is just collagemacabre.com. We do own the URL. You can find all the links there. Awesome. Um, but it's also available on Amazon. Um, it might, depends when this come out, there might be still VIP bundles left, which include the swag packages. We've got some cool stickers, bookmarks, and a ticket to the exhibition, which is one of my favorite things. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's just a fun little swag piece. Um, I'm not sure if those are going to be available by the time this podcast comes out, though. But I ordered one, so I'm excited. Find your links. Thank <laughs> awesome. you, Chelsea. Yes, I'm really excited to get it. Again, we can, I think we have posted it, but we'll post it again, especially with your launch being tomorrow. And you all made like um, specific accounts for the book, like on Instagram and Twitter. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So you'll find Collage Macabre on just, I think it's just Collage Macabre on Twitter. And our Instagram, we went through a few versions because it kept locking us out because when different people log into the same Instagram account from different places in the world, Instagram does not like that. Oh, no. That's right. It's advice. <laughs> there you go. Some advice. <laughs> yeah. Keep all of your, um, oh yeah, you have a lot of Canadian contributors. As you were saying that, I was like, oh yeah, I Jiang, um, yeah. or I Jiang and um, Andrew F. Sullivan are both up. up. And Mary Rajat. Oh yeah, Mary. That's awesome. Yeah, and Demi, all of us are Ontario. Demi Louise. Demi Louise Blackburns is in the UK. Yeah, so international. Yeah, as is Molly. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. Bob's in the UK as well. Very cool. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, so we will definitely promote this. Everybody, go get a copy. We, I will have my copy. I'm excited to analyze the cover. I did find the Rembrandt painting while you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> we can play I Spy with the cover, which is really fun. Um. <laughs> What else was I going to ask? Oh, um, I wanted to give you each a moment to kind of plug like what else you've been up to, like where we can find your work, um, maybe like something upcoming. Um, so Joseph, do you want to, do you want to go first? Tell us where to find you and what we, where we can read you. Sure. Um, yeah, I've got a few things coming out this year. Um, I've got a story coming out in the next Howls anthology, the Howls from the Wreckage. Me too. TOC buddies. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so that's that's always exciting. Um, I've got a, a story coming out in a collection called Old Moon, not a collection, sorry, a, a, a magazine called Old Moon Quarterly, I think. Mm. That's the summer issue. Cool. I may be wrong on that, though. And then I've got another story coming out in a different um, uh anthology called um it's a uh called black cat books they're from um victoria bc and they're doing a collection of just um 
British Columbia horror writers, and it's their they're a press, but they're releasing this as their debut anthology. Uh, and That's cool. Did they do like black cats to be like BC? We <laughs> hadn't even thought about that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no. There, there one requirement with that collection because I'd already had a story that I submitted. Um, and they were like, great, but we want every story to have a black cat in it. So oh. we had to go back and rewrite like a little scene that featured a black cat. That's so cute. That was, uh, that well, was new lore. New lore just dropped. And it's definitely because of British Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Um, so are you on social media? Or do you have a website or anything, Joseph? I don't have a website, but I do have an author profile, uh, Twitter at, uh, at just at Bunt Triple, B-U-N-T-T-R-I-P-L. What's the deal with your, what's the deal with that name? What's it mean? Oh, I'm a big baseball fan. Um, nice. <laughs> uh, triples are, triples are very rare, in ba- not very rare, but reasonably rare in baseball and bunt triples are not possible. Bunts when you hold the bat and you try to yep. sneak your way to first base or sacrifice yourself to move the guy that sounds awful this uh, whole time <laughs> i have known you as bunt triple because it's also your username in discords i had no yeah. idea it meant anything <laughs> i've always read it as bunt ripple and i don't know why there's two t's but in my mind it was bunt ripple and, and- <laughs> I don't know anything. it's baseball right yeah baseball uh yeah, yeah I think I it's because I basically I think I made that reddit account like purely to post on baseball forums so it was like a baseball joke and then I started to get involved with more like writing stuff and all amazing that. <laughs> that's awesome yeah I thought even though it wasn't spelled like this I always I always thought bunt cake <laughs> Me too. Yeah. 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 Bunt cake. I went, even though I was yeah, assuming bunt. it wasn't bunt cake. Yes. Can't get food bunt, off the brain. Ripple, those are both kind of like desserty. I guess yeah. I, could, I could definitely see that. <laughs> Jessica, <laughs> tell us a little bit about what you have going on and, and in the works and stuff. Right. So I had a really good acceptance year, like last year, I guess was really it. So in like yes. May, June, I've got like a whole bunch of stuff coming. Uh, May, uh, you shall see uh, a poem I wrote in Starline magazine, which is the one of the big sci-fi fantasy horror uh, poetry magazines, awesome. and um, a short cosmic, cosmic apocalyptic, uh, sapphic romance uh, short story based on the Little Match Girl. Oh. Just I'm going to ram as much in there in Polar Borealis's May issue, which is Canada's sci-fi fantasy horror magazine. That's awesome. And in May, um, I've got a couple things up in uh, Les Petites Mort. And Brett, are you in that one too? And am I imagining that? No, no, no. Um, but okay. that uh, we we discussed it long, and I've read that story oh. in that, and okay. oh, I'm so excited for that one. We actually have. Um, Evelyn joining us yes. in a couple of bits. I don't remember, maybe next month. Uh, so I, I'm very, very excited about that yes. anthology. So, so that it's erotic, it. erotic yes. fairy tale and folktale based horror. Um, it's out from Ghost Arcade Press. It's really cool. And I also have in in June as well, uh, something coming out in Crimson Bones, which is Bridget Gates' gothic romance anthology. And I wrote a Rust Belt gothic. So basically cool. like 1980s in a crumbling steel city. 
awesome close to home because I live in a crumbling steel city <laughs> uh, but it, I didn't tell you which one it is Ooh. uh yeah so do you, my next um, couple months. Hamilton There's... has a rich history of creating Tim Hortons yes <laughs> and did you know this so Hamilton's known as Canada as steel city home of Tim Hortons not necessarily a place that you go as a tourist is kind of what it is but it is the world capital of waterfalls it has the most waterfalls in a city some of them are small (laughs) are they natural or are they like dams from the steel natural wow natural because it's a there's an escarpment that bisects the city so it's like People call it the mountain here, but it's not a mountain. It's mm. like a big ridge. So there's so cool. many waterfalls because it's like right down the center of the city. Wow. Who knew? You guys are so <laughs> close to Niagara. So that sort of makes sense. Yeah, that too. Sense. Yeah. Um, do you write a lot of romance or is this just kind of a coincidence? Ah, um, so I'm a very heavy romance reader. Okay. I have a romance novel that is uh, pocketed right now. Um, I tried to get it published a while ago. I may try for self-publishing eventually. Uh, my shorts, I don't have a lot of romance. It's just the three coming up in the next two are like <laughs> the only ones in my shorts that have romance and they all got accepted around the your, same time. Your schedule begs to differ, Jessica. You have lots of I know. coming out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and they're not all romance genre. So romance genre has to have a happy ending. Oh. And I will spoil some of this in saying that not all of these have a happy ending because they're more horror than they are romance. <laughs> That's fair. That's what brought us here, right? That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, congrats to both of you. It's really exciting. Oh, and Jessica, where can we follow you oh, online? Yeah. Uh, JessicaPeter.net or .ca if you want to go Canadian are both my website link and JessicaPeter1 on both Twitter and Instagram. Cool. We'll definitely link you both. Well, we want to thank you both again for coming in. Well, you didn't come in anywhere. We're all remote, but we're calling in. <laughs> I'm in calling French kitchen in right now and chatting with us. Uh, but it, it was great. I'm really excited for the world to get to see this. I'm excited to continue it. I also haven't finished, but okay. I'm excited too. Yes. So no, it's thank you both. Been really, really good so far. I'm like, yeah, really blown away by the talent, and I'm. Just, cruising through it which is a testament to how engaging it is so congratulations to you all and thank you thank you really excited to see this like out yes Mm -hmm. get it in some let's get it in some hands and on some shelves everyone absolutely all righty well in the immortal words of elton skelter chelsea pumpkins woo (laughs) this has been cutthroat queens podcast you're welcome in a bath of ice I'm a victim of an organized You know it is true You know this time you're never gonna get it But you already stole my